0: Grab a Bible. We've got some over on the resource table. We are going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2 is a big chapter in the New Testament. This is a big chapter in Scripture. So we're going to look at the first half of that today. And basically this week, just so you kind of know the lay of the land, we're going to cover the events of Pentecost as well as the first part of Peter's speech coming out of those events of Pentecost. We're going to cover the first part of that bold proclamation of Peter to the crowds. And then next week, we're going to cover the second half of his speech. This is a really significant speech as Peter boldly proclaims these truths. And we're going to break it up into chunks. So we'll cover the second and third chunk next week. Uh, And that's kind of how we'll roll. Uh, But this is the first evangelistic speech in the book of Acts, and so it carries a lot of weight. Um, So hopefully we can uh, cover it well over these coming weeks. And I just want to kick off, you know, speaking of bold proclamations, uh, I was searching for a worship song the other day. It was a worship song by Phil Wickham called The Time Is Now, because that's what I entitled this sermon, The Time Is Now. And so I get on the Googles, and the Googles, I put in song, time is now lyrics, and guess what pops up? Does anybody have any idea? The time is now? Yeah. So the time is now is another song, it appears, and it's the entrance theme to the professional wrestler John Cena. I see some heads nodding. Thank you, B-Rod, under... B-Rod knows that John Cena's entrance music in his professional wrestling career is a song called The Time Is Now. It was not Phil Wickham. And, but anyway, I got interested, and I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. I, trademark, the trademark who, who, who sings that song does a great job himself, so I won't try and replicate that. But I want to read you a portion of it. And again, this is what John Cena was known for as he came out to do his professional wrestling. I'm going to call it a performance if you take issue with that, then we can talk after the service. Uh, But he says this, a soldier, and I stay under you fighting because I'm storming on you chumps like thunder and lightning. Ain't no way you breaking me, kid. I'm harder than nails. Plus, I keep it on lock like I'm part of the jail. And he's got the lock on his chain, the big chain around his neck. Anyway, that's part of the song. And I get it, right? I grew up with professional wrestling. I grew up with like, you know, Hulk Hogan trying to like lift Andre the Giant, like throwing out his back. I got all that. So I get that this is just kind of part of John Cena's persona on on the WWE, which I think that's what we still have is the WWE. I'm still like thinking WWF like action figures from the eighties, but anyway, um, So that's his persona in wrestling, but if you paid attention to the news back in May, you saw a very different John Cena back towards the end of May. Uh, There's a promo video for Fast and the Furious 9. I should stop right there and just say I can't believe that there's been nine Fast and Furious (laughs) movies, but they came out with F9 earlier this year, and uh, John Cena was doing a promotional. uh, I hope he doesn't see this or hear this because he's going to come beat me up, but... He did this promo video, and he was being interviewed, and it was supposed to launch first in Taiwan. and That was supposed to be the first country, and they had to back it up because of COVID stuff. But, uh, so he's doing this interview, and he refers to Taiwan as a country. Immediately, he sparked all this anger from some folks in China over referring to Taiwan as a country. And you guys, a lot of y'all are intimately aware of the international uh, issue with that. But he got right into the middle of it. And so he sends out an apology video, and it's, it's actually, it's in Mandarin, like he actually does a fairly decent job, uh, from what I understand on, on speaking Mandarin, but he, he, he sends this apology video, and he says that he made a mistake, but he doesn't, he doesn't actually clarify what his thoughts are on the nature of Taiwan's statehood, he just kind of says, I made a mistake, and, and then, so it's like people in China are upset with him, people in Taiwan are upset with him, it's just a big mess, Okay. And it just so happened that the apology came the same exact week that his movie was premiering in the Chinese market. And it was supposed to launch in like 11,000 theaters or something like that in China. And so it went on. Actually, I looked at the box office. Box Office Mojo told me that it made like over $217 million in China alone in its opening weeks. Uh, and by the way, it only made four point five million in Taiwan. So I say all that to point out that there are some significant international politics as well as seemingly, some financial incentives for John Cena to kind of do what he did back in May with that with that uh, apology video. But it's interesting because that ambiguous apology video, Not really explaining what he actually believes and just kind of saying some stuff. Uh, It it, it didn't present a harder-than-nails, unbreakable soldier, okay? Right? Because that's just his persona on professional wrestling. Uh, The ambiguity of it and just kind of how it rolled out, and you all probably saw some of the news coverage on it. People were mocking him. I'm not trying to do that this morning. But what I am saying is that it's a little squishy. (laughs) It got a little squishy because there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of heat. And uh, and that's kind of that was his response. And I don't know what was going on in the background. I don't know what, you know, movie execs and people were. Hey, we got hundreds of millions of dollars on the line. You know, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes. But I do know that kind of came across a little squishy. But our world and this is true across the board. Our world is full of politics and double speak and mincing of words. Just flip on the TV. All right. So it's actually really refreshing to read in Acts chapter 2 where we see Peter boldly proclaiming God's truth. Like he doesn't mince words in the slightest. And we see that carry on all throughout the book of Acts despite controversy, despite pressures and internal and external pressures and, and even financial incentives. And we're going to get into some of that later in Acts. Peter boldly proclaims God's truth as do the rest of the apostles and the other followers of Jesus. But Acts 2 reminds us at the very same time that we see these superheroes of the faith, like, oh, I wish my faith could be like Peter's when he boldly proclaimed that truth in Acts chapter 2. At the very same time they show us this bold proclamation, Acts 2 reminds us that the power that was behind Peter's bold speech is nothing short of God himself. It's nothing short of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit manifesting himself through a, a, a humble vessel, which was Peter. Without the Holy Spirit, we will succumb to pressures and politics. We all will. You just turn up the, not, the dial enough on the internal and external pressures, on the financial incentives, on, on, on the politics, on whatever it is, and we're going to start squirming and get squishy, and we're not going to be boldly proclaiming as we ought to. My big idea, our big idea for for this this portion of Acts chapter 2 is that the time is now for trusting Christ. It's not tomorrow. It's not next month. It's not five years from now. The time is now for trusting Christ. And we as Christians must trust in Christ's supernatural provision, i.e. the Holy Spirit. We have to trust in Christ's supernatural provision so that he can then use us to help other people trust in his salvation. We have to trust in his supernatural provision so that he can use us as his vessels to communicate the gospel and to help other people believe, to help other people take hold of eternal life, of his salvation. So that's how we're going to divide out our time between those two things. The time is now for believers to step out in faith. I'm speaking to you, believers, like if you trusted in Jesus Christ, the time is now for us to step out in faith. We are living in what is called the church age, okay? We are living in this very specific time in human history in which the gospel, this mystery uh, that has now been brought to light through the person and work of Jesus Christ and the teaching and proclamation of his apostles, this gospel is going out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And we're on the front end of that in Acts chapter 2. But we're 2,000 years into that process where we are today. We are living in the church age. And Scripture calls these the last days. You wonder why Scripture calls these the last days? 2,000 years ago, the last days started. And we are still in the last days because they're leading up to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to step out in faith during what scripture calls the last days, that should have a ring of urgency to it. We as Christians must be characterized by two things at least. One is empowerment, supernatural empowerment, and the other is engagement with the world around us, with the people in the world around us. So the church is already empowered for Christian witness. You don't have to go to a conference. You don't have to buy a book. You don't have to do anything. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then you are indwelled by his Holy Spirit and you are already empowered for Christian witness. That's the whole point of Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to fill us. That's the point. He takes this, this, this sort of ragtag group of apostles and says, no, 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 don't rush out in your own strength and your own wisdom because you're going to fail, just like you did the night of my arrest. He says, no, 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 I want you to go into Jerusalem and I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the promise from the Father. I want you to wait for me to send the Holy Spirit to indwell you as my holy people. And that's what we see in verses 1-4. through These are the events of Pentecost. I'll read it again. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like, like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues. That's the same word, by the way, as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak. So, folks, ha, uh, as a preacher and like a teacher, like I just want to spend just gobs of time on this, but we are not. Uh, but I want to I want to highlight a couple of things. This has a ton of connections to the Old Testament. Everything about this passage is is connecting with different Old Testament passages and prophecies and uh, other sections in the New Testament could be connected. in. so there's a million different directions that we could go with just these four verses. But the basic issue that I want you to walk away with is divine enablement, divine empowerment. The, the, the focus is on God's presence and power. That's what so many of these signs and symbols are representing. God's presence and God's power, that noise of wind from heaven, and those tongues of fire that were resting on the believers, those are those are rich with Old Testament Israelite symbolism for the presence, for the appearance of God Himself. The fire on the bush, the fire on Mount Sinai, the pillar of fire over God's people in the wilderness. I could go on and on. But just know that those are symbols for God's presence in the Old Testament. And at Pentecost, which was 50 days after the, the uh, basically it was 50 days after Passover, um, but there was another one of these major Israelite festivals, and there were hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem, but at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent right at that moment from heaven when there's hundreds and thousands of, of Jewish people from all over the world come to Jerusalem, busting at the seams, to worship. That's the moment that God sends his Holy Spirit. And he sends his Holy Spirit from heaven, just like that wind from heaven. It's actually the same root uh, between wind and spirit in the Greek, which is kind of fun. Uh, But he sends his Holy Spirit from heaven by Christ to fill these believers for what? Just to kind of make a show? No, for Christian service. He fills them for Christian service. And the result of them being filled with the Holy Spirit was divinely inspired speech that allowed them to speak in previously unknown tongues or languages. Again, same word for the fire and for the languages, tongues. Uh, but that's, that's clearly, in, from the context, that's what they're doing. They're speaking in previously unknown uh, languages and dialects that they could have not known. And this was an important miracle because, folks, Christian witness would involve what? What does he say you're going to be? You're going to be my witnesses. And that has an aspect of, in fact, it, it, it's, what is it? It's saying that we're going to communicate. We're going to bear witness to the truth and reality of the and work of Christ. So Christian witness is going to involve bringing the gospel, the good news, this message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth through what? Through divinely empowered communication. Now the point is not that all believers everywhere would speak in tongues. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians. Not everybody speaks in tongues, right? So that's not the point, that everybody's going to speak in tongues, right? The point is that this, this whole witness, this whole Christian ministry throughout the ages, in the church age, is going to be about divinely empowered speech. The point is that the church had been empowered now for Christian witness, and then the church must then, as a result of that, we must be engaged in Christian witness. We don't want to waste what God has given us. We don't want to be bad stewards of the divine empowerment that we've received through the Holy Spirit. So we have to be engaged in Christian witness. And please, I, we think individualistically in our culture. I get it. I do too. When you hear the Great Commission, don't hear like, Oracle. It's up to you to do this great commission. Like, this is what we are doing together as the Big C Church throughout the ages, and it's also what we're doing together as a church family here at Wayside Communities Church in Greater Austin and beyond. So I I just want to make that clear, that this has been given to us. But we still, both individually and corporately, need to be engaged in Christian witness. And that's exactly what we see from the very beginning of the church. And look at verses 5 through 13. Look at what happens. The moment that they're indwelled, the moment that they're filled by the Holy Spirit for Christian service, that's what they do. It says, Now there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement. And great perplexity, saying to one another, "What does this mean?" But others were jeering and saying, "They are full of sweet wine." Now I could I could totally nerd out on just that list of nations, and and we were talking this morning when we were all here doing the setup that we need like a pastor's cut for all the stuff that I can't fit into sermons. Like we just just do the pastor's cut. We'll all go grab coffee on like a Monday, and just I can I can nerd out about all these fun things, but, um, but I want to consider basically three aspects with this passage I just read. Three aspects of Christian witness which have, folks, they have remained the same throughout these last 2,000 years. First of all, the audience was international and, and inquisitive. So we read that the devout Jews residing in Jerusalem were from every nation under heaven. Intended exaggeration, Right? But the point is, they were from all over the Jewish diaspora, the dispersion of the Jewish people around the Mediterranean world, okay? And furthermore, we see what? We see that something sparks their interest, and it makes them ask questions about these Christian Jews. And in this case, it was the sound. I don't know if that was the sound of the rushing wind or the sound of them speaking in these these languages that they wouldn't have known, But but their attention is grabbed by something. In this case, it's the sound. And then they're, they're perplexed by what they see and what they hear. And what is it that they see and hear? It's Galileans. Like rural country folk from up north in Galilee, who, by the way, they're known for their unremarkable Aramaic dialect. They're not speaking Hebrew, right? For, for hundreds of years, they've been speaking Aramaic. And they spoke a certain dialect of Aramaic that they kind of got made fun of. And so, like, they noticed Peter, right, at the night of christ's arrest remember they go hey you're galilean aren't you it's like hey you're cajun aren't you or whatever no offense if you're cajun but the point is they could tell from their dialect okay so they at least the galileans have this unremarkable aramaic dialect but they're speaking fluently in unknown local dialects from from the home nations of all these diaspora jews from all over the mediterranean world So first, the audience was international and inquisitive. Second, the announcement of the Christians was both supernatural and it was salvific. The the content was salvation. There there was no way for these Galileans to have known, much less been able to fluently speak in these distant dialects, ranging from Rome all the way uh, in the far northwest all the way down to Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula, and from Egypt down in the southwest on the, on the uh, Mediterranean coast of, the, of uh, Africa, all the way up to Elam and Mesopotamia, around Mesopotamia. So all over the place. And then these divinely empowered messengers, what are they doing? There's content here, right? What are they talking about? They're talking about the mighty deeds of God. And that's what people did in the Old Testament when they prophesied. They would prophesy about the mighty deeds. Back then it was what God did for Israel, bringing them out of Egypt in the plagues and parting the Red Sea and bringing them through the Red Sea and destroying Pharaoh's armies and providing for them in the wilderness and bringing them into the promised land. These are all the mighty deeds of God. Well, what are they talking about? What are these mighty deeds of God? We're going to see it all throughout Acts. It's the mighty deeds of God that he accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Third, the acceptance of the message was mixed. Let's just prepare ourselves with this truth because this has not changed in 2,000 years. But look at verse 12. It says, some of the people were amazed and perplexed and they wanted to discover the meaning of these events. But others were mocking these Jewish Christians and accusing them of mid morning drunkenness. They typically had a prayer hour at nine o'clock and they would wait to eat breakfast until after nine. And they wouldn't eat wine or drink wine until they would eat meat, which would be after at the end of the day, right, in the evening. And so actually Peter's kind of joking with them a little bit. He's like, dude, it's like nine in the morning. Like these people aren't aren't drunk on wine, okay? Uh, but but the point is, there were some people that just dismissed what they were seeing and hearing. But folks, that did not stop Peter and the apostles. They were empowered for Christian witness. And they were ready to to both lovingly and boldly proclaim the truth about the Messiah to their fellow Jews in Jerusalem. They knew that the time was now for stepping out in faith. And the whole point of this section is that we must depend upon divine empowerment to be the witnesses that Christ is calling us to be. We, that's the point. Like, well, Guys, we can't do this. Individually or, or corporately, we cannot do this except for the divine empowerment to be witnesses. And, and folks, I, I'm going to be the first one to be honest here. Just like John Cena and countless other billions of people, pretty much every person that's ever lived right, in their own strength, in their own effort, I too can sometimes present myself as tough and unbreakable and unbendable in my self-confidence. It's like I put on my own entrance music and come out looking tough with my chains and my lock, right? I keep it on lock. Is that what it was? I can do that. I can puff myself and act like I'm going to go conquer the world for Christ. But listen, folks, if we're not depending on God, if we're not desperately dependent upon God, this is not going to happen, no matter how much we puff ourselves up. But, but then, right when we walk out in self-confidence, right, someone hits us with a chair, you know, to use a professional wrestling. Somebody just comes up and spins us. And, and it could be like internal pressure, external pressure, could be financial incentives, it could be whatever, but it, it, it causes us to mince words about our faith in Christ. All of a sudden, we get kind of namby-pamby, and squishy and like standing for what we believe and 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 the culture just just it's coming at us with the folded chair okay going back to the 80s pro wrestling like culture's going to come at you with the chair and as soon as you come out with your you know if you're not depending on God you're just going to get spun by those pressures by those influences And that's true of all of us. And and I struggle with that. It doesn't have to be $200 million in ticket sales on the line for me to struggle with that, for us to struggle with that. Because why? Because I care so deeply about what people think about me that that how I think about myself, i.e. how I think other people think about me, becomes an idol. And as I worship the idol of self, I won't do anything to threaten that idol. I won't do anything to threaten how people think of me. OK, and so what does that do? It keeps me from doing what Christ has called me to do. It, 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 it keeps me from sharing my faith. And I love that God gives us a snapshot. He doesn't just roll Peter out as this Goliath of the faith. He doesn't. Or I should say David of the faith. Maybe he doesn't roll Peter out as this like supernatural, superhuman guy who can just do these bold things. Right. Who do we see first before we ever get to Acts chapter two? We see Peter on the night of the arrest running, denying, weeping, walking away, feeling like a failure, right? That's the Peter we get introduced to. That's the Peter who's playing his his entrance music and then he gets hit in the head with a chair on the night of Jesus' arrest and he's spun. But now we get to see a different Peter and what's different about Peter? What's different about Peter Is that he now has the divine empowerment through the Holy Spirit that can transform us into bold witnesses for Christ. Folks, the time is now for boldness in our faith, so so let us embrace divine empowerment. Uh, The holidays, the holy days, uh, that's where we get that word anyway, Uh, they're a great time for spiritual conversations with friends, with family, with perfect strangers at office work parties or whatever else. Uh, And folks, if we've trusted in Christ, then we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to go with us to our office work party, okay? And we need to make sure we're we're allowing Him to remain in control of us. But He's going to go to those office parties. He's going to go to those family Thanksgiving dinners. We have the Holy Spirit if we've trusted in Christ. Everything we need to be bold witnesses for Christ, we have this holiday season. But if we're going to be useful witnesses this season, we need to start praying now. How do we show our dependence on God? Through dependent, desperate prayer. So, I love Paul's prayer request at the end of Ephesians. You know, that's where he talks about, like, put on the armor. And he's not saying put on your own armor. He's saying what? Put on the spiritual armor. Put on the, the provisions God has given you to stand firm in the day of evil. To put out the fiery darts being lobbed at you by Satan, our enemy. Right? Right after that, right in that context, in Ephesians six nineteen, he asked for prayer from the Ephesians, from the other believers that he's sending this to. And what does he say? He says, "Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel." Guys, that's not just a prayer for Paul the apostle. That's not just a prayer for full time foreign missionaries. That is a prayer that we all have to be praying for ourselves and for one another. This is the kind of prayer that we're going to be praying for the rest of our lives on this earth, however long God blesses us with. And at the same time as we're praying prayers like that, we also need to be praying that the Holy Spirit is going to be working in the hearts and the minds of the people that God is going to sovereignly place along our path. Did you know the Holy Spirit's at work in and through us, but He's also at work around us? He's at work in people's circumstances. He's at work in their heartaches. He's at work in their questions. He's at work in their struggles. And he's at work in preparing the hearts of people to hear and receive the gospel and to become followers of Jesus Christ. Both kinds of prayers are necessary if we're going to really truly depend on God's divine empowerment in order to boldly share our faith with others. And that brings us to the second point of our passage, and that is this. The time is now for unbelievers to come to faith. Folks, the time is not tomorrow for people that don't know Jesus. To This is not about, oh, I'll, just, I'll think about these deep questions. Where do we come from? Where are we going? What's the purpose to life? Like, like, what is there life after death? Does God exist? Like, the time to ask and answer and wrestle those questions is not next month. It's not five years from now. It is today. And some people get that. And that's why they're asking those questions. And God's going to prepare the hearts of those people. And He's going to put you smack dab in their life to help find the answers in Christ. So the time is now. Again, we're living in the last days. And every passing day, folks, every passing day between now and when Jesus Christ comes back, think of it like this. Every day you wake up and Jesus Christ doesn't come back yet, it is God's grace allowing more and more and more people to respond to the gospel and to find eternal life. because these last days they will culminate with the final day, the day of the Lord, when Jesus is going to return as both conquering king and judge. That's what we believe. That is part of Orthodox Christianity, is that Jesus Christ is bodily returning to the earth, and part of his return is salvation for those who have been saved by calling on his name, which we're going to talk about, but also judgment. Uh, The beginning of Peter's speech picks up all these themes, and it's the first example, as I said, of an evangelistic speech in the book of Acts. And it's important, when you look at the evangelistic speeches in Acts, it's important to understand the context. This one is to who? This one is to non-believing Jewish people in Jerusalem. There's a lot of other speeches and acts to Gentiles, and you can look at the differences, and we can talk about that as we go along. But it's important to understand the context here because he's going to go back to what? The Hebrew Scriptures. In the first part of Peter's speech, he goes back to the Hebrew prophet Joel to explain what they're seeing and what's happening at Pentecost. So look at verses 14 through 21 with me. It says, But Peter, taking his stand with the other eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you assume, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's like nine o'clock. But this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. This is what you've been reading in your Hebrew scriptures for hundreds of years. And then he quotes it. He says, and it shall be in the last days, God says, That I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. It's literally all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. We see some of that throughout the book of Acts. And even on my male and female servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And he goes on, I will display wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, ah, This is where I'm like, we need the pastor's cut right here, okay? So, Just very quickly, there are three basic ways to look at the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 here. All right? And there's some good, solid, wonderful Christian men and women who are having these discussions, these arguments, okay? Uh, One way of interpreting this is that it was completely fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. One is that it was partially fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, looking for ultimate, complete fulfillment uh, at the end of this age. And the third is that it wasn't fulfilled at all in Acts chapter 2, but what happens in Acts chapter 2 was similar to and looking forward, pointing forward to the ultimate fulfillment uh, for Israel prior to the return of Christ. <laughs> Those are the three, okay? And, and I fall somewhere, just, just if you want to know, somewhere between options 2 and 3, probably closer to 2. We can talk about it. But regardless of where you fall on this issue, it still emphasizes three important realities that are related to unbelievers coming to faith in Christ today. The first one is this. Folks, the clock is ticking. We are meant to feel an incredible sense of urgency, holy urgency. The clock is ticking. And we see this in verses 14 through 18. Peter understands that the, the, the beginning of this pouring out of the Spirit signals the beginning of a new era if you want to think of it like this it's like before you see the sun you start to see the rays in the morning it's like you start to see the light coming up the rosy dawn but before you ever see the orb of the sun get above the horizon and that's kind of like what we're seeing here you begin to see this outpouring of the holy spirit but the sun has not yet crested over the horizon and I do think, by the way, that God will pour out His Spirit on all Israel, essentially, when the nation turns to their Messiah just before His return. Now, I'm not going to get deeply theological on you here, but I read Romans 9, 10, and 11, particularly towards the end of Romans 11, to, to understand that Israel will have a national turning to Christ, their Messiah, just prior to Him returning. Okay? Okay. That's how I understand what's going to happen. But God has already begun pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. What do I mean by that? Male and female. Young and old. Beginning with those 120 believing Jews who became His servants in bringing the Gospel of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That's where it began. With these, these, these apostles and prophets and these, these early believers. He's already begun. Second, so the clock is ticking. Second, future judgment is inevitable. I know we don't want to talk about judgment. I I get it. Again, that's where the culture comes with the folded metal chair and just whacks us across the face and says, oh, you judgy people, why are you talking about judgment and sin and all that? Right? I get that. But folks, future judgment is inevitable, okay? And we have to embrace that. That doesn't mean we're unloving people. In fact, it means that we're more loving because we're willing to have awkward conversations about sin and judgment and righteousness because we love people and we want people to find salvation in Christ, okay? But it's inevitable. We see that in verses 19 and 20. Personally, I believe that these signs and wonders are future events that will happen as part of a great tribulation just before Jesus returns to the earth. Again, you're getting into my eschatology. I can nerd out with you some other time on on eschatology, end times theology. That's great. But I'm just telling you that I think that this section of this Joel prophecy is pointing to signs and wonders that will happen at the end of this age just prior to Jesus Christ comes back. And it seems to be from the context that the signs on the earth are the blood and the fire and the, the vapors or pillars of smoke. And then the wonders in the sky seem to be referring to the darkening of the sun and moon. And then what does it say will come? And then will come the great and glorious day of the Lord when Christ will return as the conquering king who will judge the nations and establish his kingdom on earth. Now again, the kingdom and what that means and exactly how all that happens, that's eschatology, it's end times theology, it's important. But we have a diversity of understanding of that even here at Wayside. And that's okay. I'm just telling you where I stand on this. But it is important to note that Peter doesn't end with this message of judgment, does he? He doesn't end with the blood and the darkness and the fire. That's judgment language from the Old Testament. But how does he end? What's the third aspect we see here? It's that salvation is available now. If judgment is inevitable then, for you on Zoom then, then salvation is available right now today. And that's how Peter ends today's passage. And it shall be that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Joel, the Lord was God. In the context of Acts, the name of the Lord that we call on is the name Jesus Christ. That's an important thing to notice. And this verse has a sense of urgency to it. So the time is now for coming to faith. And uh, I think it's important to understand what time it is. Because guys, we, I, this happens to me. I get sort of like caught up in my day-to-day and my circumstances and my earthly stuff and my building my own kingdom and all this stuff. And I forget what time it is. Folks, we are living in the last days between the arrival of the Holy Spirit according to God's promise and the return of Jesus Christ according to God's promise. So we need to see ourselves and we need to see the others around us not in the light of our earthly circumstances, as though we've got all the time in the world, but in the light of eternity. And I'm always haunted by the words of C.S. Lewis. He wrote an essay called The Weight of Glory, and I have to read it over and over again because like, he's a very uh, smart fellow, but it's so good. And this is how he characterizes what I'm talking about, this sense of urgency and this sense of seeing ourselves and others in light of eternity. Listen to this. Let this fall on you. It is a serious thing, he writes, to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. He means our glorified state, when we're glorified in the glory of Jesus Christ, when we share in his glory. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to at your office party this Christmas may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. That haunts me in a good way because it helps me see people not as we see it from the flesh as we're just doing our thing and there's no, you know, you're just, when you die, that's it. And there's no, God doesn't exist and everything's natural material. Okay. We're seeing it how scripture tells us to see it in light of eternity. And that's what I love Lewis does. He he lifts our eyes to the eternal realities that are going on for each of us and for all of us. And he says, see yourself and see others in that light. And he goes on, and I wish I could quote the whole chapter, but it's beautiful. But when Peter spoke to the crowds in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, folks, he had eternity in mind. He wasn't just trying to simply win a theological argument about, you know, interpretations of Joel or something like this. He was trying to save souls. He was trying to help people find eternal life in Christ. And we continue that same exact work of witnessing as we together... As a local church, as the Big C Church, we together, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, engage with our our neighbors, our friends, our family, perfect strangers at the office parties with the light and the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. The time is now for unbelievers to come to faith. And today's passage helps us feel this holy and healthy sense of urgency. Guys, I don't want you walking away today going, I'm a bad Christian, right? Right? No, like feel exhilarated that like Jesus Christ has chosen you and he's chosen us and he's given us infinite reserves of empowerment and, and enablement to do this thing these he's calling us to. I want you to walk away with me from today, not thinking, oh, I'm a bad Christian, but thinking, my God, like this is what my life could look like. I already have all that I need for this kind of life and all I have to do is just humbly submit myself to God in dependence and pray to him and pray for others and just wait for him to use me in his power according to his plans and folks your life will never be more full of purpose and joy and love and all these wonderful things we read about in scripture than when we do that together Peter reminds us that we are indeed in the last days and it's only a matter of time until Jesus returns to justly judge the world in righteousness. And just like Peter, we can look around today and we can see a lot of people who we want to introduce Jesus to before he returns. So, who do you know that needs to know him? Who do you, that's our application. Who do you know that needs to know Jesus? Today's passage tells us that salvation is not some esoteric, Gnostic, secret knowledge thing. Today's passage tells us that salvation is an open invitation to everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So folks, let's pray that many, 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 many more would, and that we would be the ones to have the privilege to personally deliver that invitation to eternal life. Um, I'll close with this. When I stumbled across John Cena's entrance music, his wrestling song, I was actually looking for that song by Phil Wickham with the same name, The Time Is Now. So because I opened with John Cena's entrance music, I'm going to close with the opening words of Phil Wickham's song. I just want you to hear this. I think it's a great, these are great lyrics. Uh, Phil Wickham sings this. He says, The battle line is drawn, it's all in black and white. Hope is going forward. And fear from behind, it's time. It's time to make a move, so what will you decide? The clock is ticking on, don't let it pass you by. It's time. The time is now for lifting souls. The time is now for letting go. From your skin to your core, let light and love come rushing through the door. It's time to make a stand, so put your heart in greater hands. Um, Next week, Peter is going to continue his evangelistic speech by revealing the Lord of our salvation and explaining to his audience and to all of us how to find that salvation in Christ. Let me pray. Please bow your heads.